Welcome back, folks, to Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. The interview for this episode was with an old shipmate of mine and also a San Francisco sailor, Jordan Little. It was such an awesome interview. We had so much natural back-and-forth sailor banter in it. We talked about crazy role-playing that happens on boats, the illegal stealing and subsequent recovery of his boat, Lumpy Space Princess, as well as the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Japanese gift-giving culture, tall ship pranks, an epic West Coast storm which he and his crew survived, and much more. So many thanks to Jordan for letting me do this interview with him. It is a great time. I hope you enjoy it too. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. I'm here with an old shipmate of mine, uh, Jordan Little. Hello. A.K.A. Idaho. <laughs> so, first question, how'd you get the name Idaho? Uh, it happened really early on in my tall ship career, uh, my very first day on Lady Washington. It was uh, J.B. Morrison was captain, I think you know him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he basically remembered that I was from Idaho because he was from Idaho and he saw my intake form. And so that was what stuck in his mind, but he had forgotten my name. So he told Whaler, he's like, Whaler, take, and he was going to say my name, but he forgot the name. And so he says, take Idaho to the, you know, I don't remember what task it was. But uh, yeah, so it just happened literally like about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes after I stepped on board and it stuck. So Awesome. It's also kind of a novel thing because there's quite a few sailors in that time that were from Idaho that ended up on the Lady Washington, including the Gempler family who I went to church with in Idaho when I was a child. So yeah, I've said, was... I've said in several interviews now, I hope I get to interview the Gimplers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They've got some stories, I'll tell you what. Oh my gosh. Well, that's awesome. Well, hey, I get, at least I get to interview one of the Little Brothers. That's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. So just folks that are that are listening, so I'm sitting across from a dashing, handsome, long, blonde-haired gentleman with a beard and glasses. Oh, You're too and kind. California <laughs> shirt with some pink. Uh, what do we pink got? Pink and black and like teal blue. Yeah, you know? it looks looks really cool. It's got like some some cougars on it or something. Some, some bears, man. Oh, bears, it's of course. It's the state California animal, bears. Duh, that's right. The bear Republic. That, uh, I think we murdered the last one in the 30s. That's yeah. too bad. But anyway, that's what Jordan looks like. My my. Uh, I don't know if this came from my journal. Or I think it came from my journal at one point, and I was like complimenting you in my journal, <laughs> and and then and then I or, or saying you did something awesome, and I don't remember exactly what, but uh, but I wrote down everyone is always surprised when a tattooed dreadlock fellow does great work, but I wasn't. I was just <laughs> impressed. Oh shucks. So I, th I, th I don't remember what it was that you did, Jordan. <laughs> I'm so mm. sorry to say, but you did a lot of good. Well, we had some good times. Yeah. I definitely like tall ships has been some of the most rewarding work that I've ever done in my life. It was when I first got on, you know, I was young. I was let's see here, ten years ago, I was twenty four ish. And, you know, kinda of wayward. I was just traveling, I was trying to figure out what I was wanting to do with my life and I was honestly fairly nihilistic in my younger days of just like, you know, I had to build a moral code over time and tall ships was really what kinda of drove that for me is is community and there's something about serving on a boat with people where everything else gets kind of stripped away you know you're 15 to 20 people living on a floating mobile home essentially and so you see through any sort of kind of pretenses that people would keep up so the pretenses tend to not really last that long and you kind of people get boiled down to their essence I think and for me that was a really interesting kind of transition from 
not really knowing what I wanted to do in life to having something that was really important to me and also people you know there was a lot of people that had a lot of influence on me not just in like how to work on a boat and how to be a sailor but like how to conduct yourself and uh, and had a lot of people you know frankly that kind of you know smacked me on the ass and taught me how to be a better man <laughs> so I'm very thankful for all of that and uh you know yeah like I said it's just been one of those things that really I don't know if it if I should say it defined me as a person but it was very much of my you know growing up into who I am now it happened on tall ships so that's awesome yeah and I remember you you stood up you you um you, you kind of stood up as mate so you stepped yep. up and took the plate as mate mm -hmm. I, I guess it was uh it was prior to Otis showing up he showed up briefly right. for a couple right. of weeks there or maybe a month I can't remember I think it was a couple of weeks yeah and, and then and you were mate there on Lady and that was 2015 uh, right yeah yeah with me as captain I think. yeah so that was a great take a great uh trick you know I had a lot of fun on that that, that was time. fun. You were there, right, when we had with with Casey when she was doing her purser. Yeah, indoctrination yeah. is mm -hmm. what we ended up doing. Yep. <laughs> so. Oh man, the purser. I always feel bad for pursers on oh. boats. You know, if you don't have like a prescription of Adderall, then that is definitely a laborious, time-consuming job that is not that fun. I had to so, go. I would go get coffees for her a lot to be like, oh. all right, coffee and rub the shoulders. Like we're going to get through this, you know, like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. The purser's like the purser's the accountant on yeah. board the ship and the accounting was, it used to be insane. Like yeah. when I, I, that was my first job on oh, the really? boat was this purser. And we literally, I, I had to just make the numbers work. And, yeah. and so I, I got very good at that. Like just cause, cause just the way they were doing the tickets was, was really bad. Yeah. Later on, they decided to just do donations. Made life much easier. Mm. All you got to do is count the donations. You're good to go. But yeah, some of the accounting was very tricky and just keeping track of things. And then we had multiple people, like someone else who worked the store. And so I had to talk to them, like, why isn't this working? But I created this alternate persona that yeah. I called, in quotations, the purser. <laughs> and the purser, like, he had, like, this wrestling persona. So I'd go in and just, like, flex my muscles with all right, the person needs to know what happened to this two dollars right now. Find me the Afghan, and I'm pissed, you know. And people, and, and so, I just, and then, and I would pretend not to be the purser. Yeah, you know, they're like, Johan, have you seen the purser? I'm like, God, I hate that guy. He's such a jerk, such an asshole. It's kind so, of externalize the, yeah. the necessity of the job. Yeah, I get exactly. it. Exactly. So it. I had this alternate persona, but. Uh, and it worked. People loved it. They'd laugh. So like when you came to, you know, I'd have to bug them about crap and they'd be like, ha ha, the purser. Yeah. So it was cool. But uh, with Casey, we're, we we decided to do the pit, pit of despair. Right. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, I do. The purser, we had the, the you know, the purser and training pit of despair. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what that was? This is the, wasn't this when we like blacked out the aft cabin and everything? Oh, yeah. And then we did oh, the yeah. big ritual. Red like, lights. Om Nom Shiba or something like that. <laughs> we had that? druidic music playing in the background. Yeah, with candles. I and... find that on boats, you know, everything becomes a bit theatric. And I love that, you know. <laughs> Just things like that when people come on and, you know, you're on there for a long time you go a little crazy sometimes especially <laughs> if you're the purser so sometimes uh you know a, a ritual in the dark with nothing but the red lights on is exactly what you need to was so funny to get through it all i forget know? who it was it was you me and uh, one other person i forget who and we were all like uh, maybe it's safety i can't remember we, we were hooded mm. and and then shiny was there 
with and the was shirt a, off and there was Hulk a contract mask. right too yeah it was oh yeah contract yeah. her official this is official contract mm-hmm. and uh and and <laughs> yeah shiny was there with his shirt off and his scars and tattoos and, and like like his his hulk mask yeah as the enforcer so he's just staying to his side oh we rate we put all the harnesses she yeah. had like walk through the harnesses clinking like, what the, the heck is going on this is down, weird yeah and then, and then we said, and now, you know, like she signed the document, like, yeah, excellent, you know, like, <laughs> and now you will go into the pit, pit of despair. <laughs> the first pit stands for purser and training, and the second pit stands for pit. <laughs> and then she, you know, the enforcer, <laughs> take her to the pit. So, like, we open up the lads, right, you know, the hatch there right. in the floor, in the soul. Go down and don't and, come back till the spreadsheets are balanced. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. And then, and then you, yeah, like we, they shut the door. Or like you blew out the candles. I remember right. just like this just blew out the candles. <laughs> and then Shiny shuts the door. And then Casey proceeded to like, I, I don't know what happened. All I know is Shiny was screaming. <laughs> it was hilarious. He was muffled like. <laughs> so I don't Took know what down they, the Hulk. To this day, I don't know what they were doing down there. But it was pretty. Maybe weird. we shouldn't dive any further into that. Who no, knows? no fair, it could have been weird. It was pretty funny though. Oh yeah, you're right. Things do get crazy. The um, one of the craziest, funniest moments ever. Well, so you guys had a boat called Lumpy Space Princess, right? Right. The legendary tell, Lumpy Space tell Princess. Tell us about Lumpy Space Princess, please. Um, Lumpy Space Princess was a Cal 28 that was gifted to us. By the guy who actually runs uh, the yard at BMC now. It's to you and your brothers. To me and Seth, yeah, my brother and I. So that's our personal boat. And we basically lived on it. Our first, like, living in the bay, we had an RV and then we had this boat, you know. And so for a while, we were just kind of anchoring out around. Um, It was an older boat, so we put a little bit of work into it. It didn't really take that much. The rig was spongy as all hell, you know. It couldn't point upwind at all. But it was a good little boat. We had some good times. And then, like, one time... Uh, when Ken Lazarus was captain, we actually like tied up along the hip of Lady and like you know hung out with them. But oh, then cool. a, some people had complaints about that, so that activity was ceased and desisted. But uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, I took the contract with you as first mate, and our boat was here in Richardson Bay, which is a really common thing. People leave it there because it's a free anchorage. You know, some people live on their boats there. There's kind of a notorious, like, I mean, I'm all for radical living situations, especially with the cost of housing being so astronomical and with, you know, the Bay Area being kind of the epicenter of one of the worst parts of that is just like everything's super expensive. So there's a lot of people who live, anchor out on boats in Richardson Bay. And I'm all for that. I'm all, like I said, I'm all for radical living. But there are some unsavory types, one of whom had... <clears throat> commandeered our boat the boat's sitting there seth was up in northern california and he was supposed to come down every week or two and check on the boat make sure it's not drifting on anchor or anything like that and he his truck had massive failure in the engine so he wasn't able to do that so it had been six weeks or so since we saw the boat so we're coming up on lady and we go into sausalito you're driving i'm on deck and I'm looking around with the binoculars trying to see where my boat is. Like, where's the boat? Is it here? You know, it's been a question mark for six weeks or so. <clears throat> so we get pulled up to the Bay Model Pier, and I see it over. There's an Army Corps of Engineers, uh, you know, waterfront area, and they have a dock there. Our boat's tied up to that dock. And so immediately, my brain, it's just like, oh, my gosh, like, we're going to have a $10,000 fine. I don't know why this boat is at the Army Corps of Engineers, but there's going to be a fine involved in this. So I go start trying to track down who took my or why the boat's there. So I track down the guy, and he's like, actually, 
that boat's tied up there because somebody's been living on it and we let them tie up there every now and again. They've been having issues with this guy of like having boats sink that were kind of older derelict boats that nobody was taking care of and stuff. And so <clears throat> he had kind of got some like leeway to use that dock every now and again. So the, so it's there. And I'm like, well, you mean this guy just has our boat? Like, what do you mean? You know? And he's like, yeah, so-and-so. So we're like, okay, what's going on? And so I don't remember... I don't think the guy himself was actually confronted, but he got wise. He might have been told by the guy who worked for the Army Corps that, you know, hey, that's somebody's boat and they want it back. I'm not sure the exact circumstances around that, but we were on Lady and we see somebody on the boat and they're like loading and unloading stuff. And then they take it, you know, off the dock and out. And so we called the cops. I mean, we must have called the cops a couple of times because every time they show up, they're like, well, who's the registered owner of the boat? And it was Seth. He was up in Northern California. So he wasn't able to come down, so they weren't able to do anything. So we're just watching this like saga of like, they moved the boat off, they moved it around a couple times. I'm worried they're going out and like leaving with it, but they didn't. <clears throat> and then I remember one night we had a covert uh, mission that we That's undertook right. with a small boat from <laughs> Chieftain. And uh, what was it like? Mother Goose and the Golden Egg or something. We had some really <laughs> funny call signs that we used. <clears throat> we went out there all sneaky, you know, and then we, like, shut the engine off and, like, rode over close. I think we were, we were dressed in black. Like, it's yeah. about as... It was yeah. dark, you know. It was at night. Like, we were it trying was, to be It was about covert. as ridiculous as we can make oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we didn't get on the boat because I think... Wasn't somebody on there when we were out there? Yeah. So, there, well, so, so to back up a little bit, because so, my memory... Um, I, now, did, did they not... They scratched off the registration yeah. number. Yeah. So that's why it got salvaged, was my understanding. Right. And then that evening when they were pulling it out, because I remember we were all on deck. We were like like having a party or just hanging out, chill, yeah. chilling and on we deck. we see them doing stuff. And we see yeah. this skiff comes in. kind of. As this is like, I don't know what time of night, but it was, it was you know, later. It was later, for sure. And, Dark. And think, it goes yeah. and they grab Lumpy Space Princess and start towing it out. And I remember yelling at them like, where are you, where are you going, Lumpy Space <laughs> Princess? And they kind of looked up and gave us a scowl and looked back and I was like, ooh. That's not. Yeah. We don't like those people. Yeah, they and, know. What and so doing. the crew, they they were they were all ready to go murder those guys. I'm like, God, crew, let's. You know, my job as captain is like, you know, <laughs> let's, let's not do violence. Let's here. not jump to vigilantism. Know, vigilantism <laughs> and murdering people. Why don't we uh, try the local authorities and see what happens? Well, and so I, I I was definitely involved with some of those calls because I was getting pissed off. I'm like, this is absurd. This should not be taking that long. Like, yeah. why aren't the, the police should have been here like 10 minutes ago. We're watching and, this happen in real time. And the crazy part was what I ultimately gathered was none of the services wanted to touch it with a 10 mm -hmm. foot pole. You had the federal. So it was a federal building, right? Mm -hmm. Like like that, that scrapyard. Yeah. And the federal Army Corps of Engineers. Dock, that's federal. Mm -hmm. So that's federal jurisdiction. You have the police, which monitor Richardson Bay. Mm -hmm. That is their jurisdiction. And you have the channel, which is state-owned. Yeah. So it's like three different jurisdictions, and all three can claim... When they claim... actually went for it, there was yeah. all those different agencies together. But, you but know, technically... We need the Coast Guard, so they can <laughs> oh, take the got... boat. And then we can also take the police boat, but we're not going to board a boat because we're not the Coast Guard. It and got then... so crazy and convoluted. I'm like, yeah. can one of you people just please take some responsibility and just do this? <laughs> like, all of you have an excuse. All of you don't have an excuse. I get that. Yeah. Just one of you take an excuse to be like, let's go get these guys. And so, yeah, so there were two people living on board, was my understanding. And within days, they had trashed that boat to where uh, 
I mean, you, you tell that part of the story. Oof, yeah. They ultimately, those two got off because they claimed ignorance, which was bullcrap. So this was them. interesting. When they but were one actually, fellow at least got arrested. When idiot. they were apprehending the people, right? Right. So they go up to the boat itself. There's people on board. There's two people on board. And then they're doing this whole thing. And somebody comes rowing up and is like, what's going on, officers? <laughs> so the two people on board got let go because... The guy who had taken the boat was the guy he rode up. He's like, this is my boat. It's my property. They're like, well, no, it isn't. We've got the owners here, proof of registration and everything. And so that was he got arrested at that point. And yeah, uh, yeah so they let the other two go. And I just remember like the one of the ladies like walking off and like she talked to me about like, this is bullshit. What are they yeah. doing? They can't do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about, lady? <laughs> it's not your boat. And then, yeah, holy cow, what they did to it was just ungodly. I mean, they structurally damaged the boat beyond repair to smoke in the V-berth, basically. What? <clears throat> they took a, what, what I'm assuming was like at least a grinder and or some sort of hammer, pickaxe type situation, and they cut through the deck of the boat. There's a thinner section of the deck that is just the deck. I mean, it's got like a plywood, a marine ply core. But then there's a thicker spot right where the chain plates are mounted, and it's the, the corner of the bow of the boat where it's like at least twice as thick because it's the structural point where the chain plates are mounted and it's the tip of the boat, you know? And this is what supports all the rigging. This yeah. is what. So yeah. basically, if that gets compromised, you have to cut the front of the boat off and rebuild it, rebuild it which is not really useful on a boat that's like 30 years old and already. Jeez you know just kind of a little you know hunky dory kind of boat anyways so they basically like hammered and cut their way through there on the thick part not that they could have moved like six to eight inches and gone through a less structural area mm -hmm. but they didn't they cut through and yeah there was a cigarette you know ashtray up there so i'm assuming they're just like smoking <laughs> out the hole is what they wanted the hole for and then also there was <laughs> well over a dozen contractors bags full of trash that we pulled off so oh of just gosh. like you know whatever i mean it had been i guess used as just a floating trash bin for a while so when i say i'm all for alternative living situations that's not what i'm talking about like, yeah folks just, yeah don't know. exploit a good thing or everybody loses yeah it freaking sucks like it's also just an environmental hazard in the long run because yep. these boats inevitably sink and then all that trash goes into the water. You know, there's a certain level of responsibility with being a boat owner. Yeah. And I'll admit, like leaving your boat on the hook for six weeks without having anybody to ch check it, that's that borders on irresponsible. You know, it was a system or it was a situation that we found ourselves in. We had plans, those, you know, best laid plans of mice and men. Go, you know, I suppose, and that kind of thing. So long story short, you know, but but we didn't fill it with you know so much trash you could barely get inside of it. And then just wait for it to, you know, I don't know, fall apart. So long Jeez. story short, we had the boat turned in. The uh, <clears throat> Army Corps of Engineers actually has a really, <clears throat> really good program, a vessel turn-in program, because people would just leave boats and let them sink eventually. So older boats that qualify for this, they'll just pick it up and crush the boat for free. So rest in peace, Lumpy Space Princess. She's uh, occupying a landfill somewhere. <laughs> She's well, a good boat, though. Yeah, those Army Corps engineer guys—they they were so cool. Um, yeah. I, I got to go out with them on one of the runs. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, the head cabin guy was awesome. He cool. was, he was oh what what a great fellow to work with. Had had lots of good stories, lot, lots of good training. I mean, he's just he's constantly training those guys, and uh, and it's cool. Like like they he always tell me a little bit of the history of the Corps um, yeah. and just in that bay because cool. I, I guess MacArthur 
this is like I think during World War II, or, or maybe just prior to World War II. Don't don't quote me on the dates here. Um, I don't have them fresh in my head. But MacArthur flew in on a on a seaplane, and it crashed because of debris. Hmm. And it must have been Richardson Bay, though. Again, don't quote me on the geography there, but I think it was Richardson Bay. And he's like, and, and the pilot died. I think. Wow. Like he he could have been killed. Wow. So he's just like, what the heck's going on? This is ridiculous. Yeah. And so. Army Corps of Engineers cleaning out the bay. So oh yeah, they're definitely like, as far as agencies go, essential. You know, yeah. to keeping marine debris down. You know, safety and navigation and stuff. It's all possible because of them, and then also the Coast Guard. You know. Yeah. But the Army Corps, they're the ones that are pulling deadheads out of the water and stuff like that. So they're definitely much appreciated in the marine and the maritime industries you know now i'm trying to think were you there when i tried one of my more embarrassing moments so i i just done the 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 drive with the you know the army corps of engineer and then like the next day i think we went out with kids and and it was the army corps they don't work seven days a week so so they do have some days off and they weren't working that day and i saw like this big log <laughs> i was just like oh man you know, I was bored because we're doing ed sales. They're not super exciting for the captain. It's like you don't set a lot of sail. You don't really have to do that right. much. And I'm like, we could get that log. We could totally <laughs> get that log. It was just like the dumbest, like probably the one of the dumber things I've ever thought. And, <laughs> and so I'm like, crew, we're going to get that log. And they're like, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know? And so we go over to the, this thing. was It was bigger than I thought. Yeah. A lot heavier than I thought. So yeah. we start trying to parbuckle this thing on the boat. I'm like, this isn't working. Like, this is... Oh crap! This thing is way too heavy. And then the the inner German in me starts like I, I can't describe it to people that don't have it. But there's this internal clock that I can tell, you know, and especially after I've done a program, just even two or three times, I can tell instantly like we need to go home now or we're yeah. gonna be late. Like yeah. like it just starts getting a little more ag- gets agitated. You know yeah. like okay we got a little bit of flexibility and then it's like you're gonna have to really go fast now because yeah. you're not gonna make on time. And so this clock was like you're with this log. I like, can't leave the log. So now the hazard navigation, I'm not going to leave it. You know, I have to do something mm-hmm. and I have to tow it. And now I have to slow down to tow. And so that inner <laughs> inner voice was screaming at me like, late. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So the German is like, was are you doing? You stupid idiot. And, and so I'm like, oh God. So so we, we motor, we get back. And then my we finally got the log. It, 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 once we got all the crew involved and didn't have kids on board, we could get the log over on the dock. And so my penance for the whole thing was to roll it myself, by myself, <laughs> kicking it and pushing it all the way down the dock, all the way to their trash yard and leaving yeah. it. And just like, oh, you know, that was my, my punishment. So, But the lesson I told the crew, I said, guys, number one, I had a captain who said, never let the captain get bored. You know, But it's not your guys' fault. It's my fault. But if I have a really stupid idea... Tell me, feel free. Like, tell Captain's me, like, not God. Captain, you know? are you aware we have children on board and we've got to get back at this time? And just give me the information. I'll, I'll probably figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah. So it was a good lesson, I think, all around for That's everybody. Funny. Yeah, I don't think I was there for that one. I've definitely had my share of marine debris recovery, you know, expeditions <laughs> and stuff. Like, there was a giant piece of styrofoam that we pulled out of the bay one time on Lady, and then the. I think we had actually seen it once and tried to get it, and we didn't get it. And then the next sail, we were out. The bosun was off, and he was like, I want it, you know? So it was like, became this white whale, you know? And then we saw it again. We're like, we got to get it. And so he got it, and then we like, we're like, what are we going to do with this? We got to do something. We're like, Godfather, of course, you know? We're going to put it in his bunk. And he's like, he's, you know, like the horse from Godfather, like the horse head, you know? 
And so we did, and he wasn't very appreciative because apparently old styrofoam just crumbles like crazy and it, you know, makes a mess out of a bug. But, you know, sometimes... You know, pranks are inconvenient, so it happens. <laughs> oh my gosh, you were, you were, you were, I think you were pranking. Were, were you up on the yard arm when you took the, the main, the, yeah, the four Chieftain. course from, from yeah. Chieftain, or the main course from Chieftain and <clears throat> put on Lady? Yeah. Yep, that was uh, me and uh, Chuck, and then uh, AJ was also our consort for that. She was more of the dock person kind of thing. Yeah. And so we actually schemed for like a long time about that. Like oh, that's funny. A solid week, maybe 10 days, and we finally did it. And uh, it was probably the best thing I've ever done in my entire life, to well, be honest. Not just me, but oh, Connor Maurer was there too, yeah. Connor was, oh, he lo- oh, he's yeah. good at that. Wow. The, we called ourselves the Bangarang Secret Society of Pranking, and huh? it was... Yeah. Probably our only real caper that we pulled off. It was it was a good one for the for the listeners. The whole summation of the story is basically we 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 love Lady Washington. We were all on Lady Chieftain. Uh, you know, is a great boat as well. They both have a course sail. The Chieftain, it's the is it the four course? Is that what they call it, or is it just this the course? No, because they they have a main and a mizzen, so it's a main course. It's a main course, yeah. yeah. So they both have main course sails, which is the lowest sail on a big mast, and it's a big, <clears throat> big driving sail. And long story short, Lady has a place for a second one on the main mast. They have one on the fore, and then on the main, you know, you could in theory hang a second course sale so we get this idea we're like what if we steal chieftains and put it on lady and so we spent all night in the rig like three people unbending a giant heavy sail and uh we had aj on the dock and i think i think it was you actually got up to go you know use the facilities late at night and i don't know if you saw her or not you talk about greatest moments i I, i've told this story in a previous interview (laughs) but it's good to get your perspective But yeah, one of my greatest moments of all time was that pee that I did off that dock. <laughs> and I was just like, man. I remember thinking too, because it was like Austin Powers. It right. just kept going and going and going. <laughs> it was, was forever. Like, That's right. Man, I we were wish. all in the rig, like frozen <laughs> that whole time. Like, don't make a sound. <laughs> I'm sure it was hilarious. I was like, I wish somebody were here to witness this with me. Like, I remember turns thinking out that. you had quite the audience. <laughs> I did. <laughs> like, from above, no less. Yeah. And, and then I remember turning around and seeing AJ, and she, and I was like, and I'm like, you're waiting. I'm like half asleep. I'm like, what is that? And it was AJ? like three in the morning or something. Yeah, like, it was quite oh, late. Is she okay? She maybe she's sick or she had a harness, but I didn't fully register that. I'm like, why would you know what? I don't want. I'll let her be. I don't want to harass her. And I think her you know, side respect, of the story respect was, her space. She like kind of was like, oh shit, what do I do? And she's like, just go with angry and broody. You know, like, <laughs> we're going through some shit. Don't talk to me. So it worked. Like, All right, deflected. It so. worked. And then I remember the next morning waking up and, and seeing you guys over there bending on a sail. I'm like. That's great. Oh, lady's got a main course. <laughs> wow. That's really and then it's like just all of a sudden click click click. You know, like like all these yeah. like the those flashbacks they do in the movie where you yeah. know with the final reveal like, right. like end of Sixth Sense where you're just like, <laughs> wait a second. Oh my no, god. No. <laughs> <laughs> We've been had. Yeah, that was good times. Yeah. I mean, you know the the uh, <clears throat> the lashings that were holding it on. They needed to be redone anyways. Oh, oh no, so, you know. that is a good prank. We're I just, always tell people like. Yeah. That's how you do it. Like this work needed to be done. 
we were because you do you get to this point where like oh we'll get to it later yeah. and then a then, lot of things get yeah, lower on the kind of get... pyramid of responsibility or of a priority you know yeah and then you also just get used to seeing something that's unsafe or, or mm-hmm. that's not as good as it could be yeah. and we were at that stage where it's like mm-hmm. well you know we, we get... and so that's a good prank because it kind of you know kicked us in the butt to be like all right we will get our sale well obviously we had to bend on our sale now there's no excuse <laughs> yeah. so good prank and you got away with it which was great yeah the one i always oh man it is and it, it was it was a bad prank but a great prank because because i got revenge but it was um uh oh man amen amen was captain of chieftain probably in my opinion one of the best captains ever he was so cool and he pranked us on Lady. He and with the tiller, right? Marlon Spike Mike, yeah. And the two of them got <laughs> got drunk and had a great time. And they're like, "Let's go prank Lady!" And so they took our damn tiller, yeah. <laughs> you know, which we steer with, yeah, and didn't replace it with anything. You know, that's so, definitely on the line. You know, like, I was pissed off. Uh, I didn't know who had done it, but right. I was still pissed off. I was like, "Whoever did that should, you know, my government like, they should be off tall ships. No, 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 they should have been, you know, kick them off the crew." And you know, I found it's the captain and, and Marlon Spike Mike. I'm like, well. Okay, we're not kicking them off, Johan. <laughs> Maybe I was a bit drastic yeah. in, in, with that, but I was like, "But you can't take that." I mean, that's freaking like we need that to steer. Like, like what if I had an emergency? And I thought, "Oh, you know what? We haven't put our emergency tiller up ever." So here we so are. Let's pull it out. And, you know. and so we did. We had actually. We turns out we had to rust bust our mm-hmm. freaking emergency tiller to make it fit. So it's like, okay, I'm glad we did that. Like lesson learned there. You know, at the same time, you know, it's a gray area because we talked a lot about like the ethics. Of it. There was a couple of nights that we wanted to go do the the mainsail prank, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we'd been we'd been drinking, and especially Chuck was like pretty sloshed. It's like, all right, we're not doing this. Like, no going up the rig drunk. Like, if we're gonna yeah. do this, we gotta stay sober, yeah. and not be stupid about it. You know, and then yeah. also. You know, the argument is too, like, does it affect the, the operation of the ship? Like, well, yeah. obviously the mainsail does. The the tiller certainly does. Yeah. Like, who knows, you know? I, I can think of a certain situation where you needed to steer the boat in the middle of the night without any sort of prep. And that was when, this was a, I don't think this was a prank. I think this was a drunken, it's kind of a crazy story, the whole Styles thing where you cut the mm. mooring lines, you know? So everybody yeah. wakes up. Boats are rafted together, so both boats are tied together. And on a river, which always a river is current. With one line left on them. So it's Jeez. like, you got to have... So that's obviously like really out there. That's yeah. only happened once in all of the history of these boats, as far as I know. But it's a thing you got to think about. Like If that situation happened and Lady didn't have the tiller on, it's a little iffy. You know? yeah. The same situation would have happened and there's no mainsail, oh, you're fine. Yeah. You still got the, you know, the diesel. So, I don't know. For those of you trying to prank other tall ships, <laughs> just think about how you're doing it. You know, don't don't hurt people. Don't hurt yourself. Don't do anything. I'd say don't do anything stupid, but kind of the idea of pranking is stupid in and of itself to some extent, but not egregiously stupid. And yeah. don't affect the workings of the boat in a way that's going to, certainly not in a way that's going to put people in danger, you know. A lot of pranks we did were like, <laughs> taking all the belaying pins off a lady's rail and then taking all of the lines and just Flemish coiling them all over the deck and stuff. And actually that one I got caught in the middle of it because mm-hmm. Michael De La Cruz had just showed up. So he was in the main hold. And so he comes up and he's like, what are you doing, dude? I'm like, oh, I'm pranking you guys. He's like, no, you're not. Get the fuck off the boat, dude. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I love Michael. He's definitely a good guy, but. Well, he was not happy to meet me at two or three in the morning. On no, deck. yeah, that would have been a bad first impression. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the good thing about pranking is it does get crews 
kind of in tune to be like you hear footsteps yeah and you're awake because there there's you know there's equipment on that on board that could be stolen or damaged yep. and there are stupid people and i've seen drunk oh, drunk yeah. people are dumb oh yeah and really drunk people are really dumb and dangerous yeah. to themselves to others you know especially in like rainbow harbor and long beach you oh, know yeah. there's you, been you, tons of stories of people yeah. oh it's a pirate ship let's go climb the rig and i understand that impulse because i have it too <laughs> you know but that's still a line. It's like we got, you know, somebody climbs drunkenly in the middle of the night and falls and hurts themselves. There's still a major liability issue there. Why didn't we yeah. stop somebody from doing that, you know? And pranks are a huge uh, way of training for, for that. Yeah. But, and they're funny, if, if done correctly. But my revenge prank, I got to tell. Was hit it up. Let's do it. Chief, so I go over to Chief. I waited, I waited for Eamon. I waited for Eamon to leave. He had to go to dinner or something. Right. And then I go up and take their emergency tiller. And I even remember one of the crew members kind of kind of got in front of me and said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm counter pranking. This this is not emer- this is <laughs> not a- actively used emergency equipment. It, it'll be. Amy's gonna love this." And and they're like, "Okay, so you know, step aside." And and so you know, so was, my revenge prank was taking the chieftain's emergency tiller. I wrapped it in trash bags mm. to make sure the rust Very and stuff it. wouldn't mess up his his bed. So, you know, <laughs> and um, and I put it in his bed, his bunk, and. You know, put a cover over. And so you did. You godfathered him too. I got, yeah. Well, and that was the best part. When in doubt, when he, feel free to godfather. Yeah. So I waited in the aft cabin and like <laughs> crews watching a movie, playing board games, whatever they were doing, and I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then and then Amy comes back. I'm like, yes, yes, it's gonna happen. And then I hear this. Oh my God! He godfathered me. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Done. Check. It's always wait. great when you can see the reaction in real time, too. You know, like the morning of you know the reveal of the main chorus on Lady. That you was... guys were all on deck, and Shiny was there too, and it was just like I remember. I think Shiny was like, "That's a nice sail. Where'd you get it?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know, it's just lying around." I don't remember what he said. It was comeback, but that was always great. Oh, <laughs> yeah, pranking pranking's good. To, you know, one of the best pranks. And so as far as like, what is a prank? Should, what should a prank do, right? There was this, I don't remember who was telling me. I wasn't involved in this. It's a very simple but very effective prank where there was a boat, I think it was the Californian, who had a bunch of like, uh, you know, deck guns. Mm-hmm. Or not deck guns, but swivel guns. Okay. And so these swivel guns had these brass bands on them and the whole crew had just agreed we're not going to ever do any rust polishing and it's or any brass polishing, and it's just going to stay the color that it is. It'll look weathered, aged, whatever. And that's the choice you got to make. You either do none of it or you do all of it, right? Yeah. Somebody in the middle of the night went <clears throat> to just one of their guns. I think they had four. Went to one of their guns and just polished those to a nice shine. Oh. So now what are you going to do? Now they have a brass polishing chore that they regularly have to do because once you did the one you got to do the rest and then once you do the rest you got to keep doing it you know so that's the kind of like mastermind prank that i'm all for it's like yeah you know don't do you don't even have to go that crazy if you can just be like haha and especially if it's like something about shaming the other crew about the condition of their boat that's you know now you're just honing their seamanship a little bit you know so well we had the public service we we did the the quote unquote real pirates of the Caribbean uh, history channel documentary. We that got filmed and I think it was MDR. I think it was Marina Del Rey. Mm. And Lady was there. Um, what was the other? I mean, maybe Chieftain. Maybe Chief. I can't remember for sure. But definitely 100% Lady Washington was there and uh, at least one other boat and also the Royal East. Mm. And the Royal so this East. This was a while ago, right? It was it was my first tour. Yeah, so it was like 2000, early early 2006, winter 2006. 
and it was the funniest thing. We had these reenactors. I mean, I mean, and I use that term really loosely. Like they're pirate <laughs> yeah. reenactors. These right. guys. They're not really reenacting. No, anything. it was they're just more clownish. Just, and yeah, clowning. <laughs> it was it was entertaining to say the least. But uh, but like yeah, like like we told them, like we can set a sail. I mean, you know, we can. We can do that. We weren't allowed to outside the harbor because it was way too. The swells were insane. Yeah, right? like it, they wouldn't be able to film. The actors would have been injured. Uh, so there's no way that was happening. They're like, why can't we go out? And like, like literally, at one point, a boat came by. There was a slight wake, and everybody was tumbling over. <laughs> it was just like, okay, so because you would fall because it's a hundred times worse out there right <laughs> yeah. now, essentially. So the and then um, and they're just your stereotypical uh, like like not they're not pirates. They're just like clowns and yeah. silly, but. Anyway, the Royal East is a very silly boat, and she was this tiny little thing that had these tiny little blocks. It was a topsail. Technically, I think she was a topsail schooner, yeah. but tiny. Right. I mean, this was like it's like eighty feet long, or even less than that. Overall, yeah. yeah like, overall. like like like. Whereas you know, normally it'd be almost fifty percent bigger. Mm-hmm. So and and she had these tiny little blocks, and then like a twelve pound deck gun, like <laughs> just yeah. this huge, just packing you know, heat. giant deck gun. Like she had no business having any more than a one pound swivel gun on her, and she's got a twelve pounder, uh, which is exponentially larger. And and so they, they had the I forget which which female pirate was being represented, but they were filming her on the, the Royal East and and the and so they, they had this topsail that they just never furled. It was there. <laughs> they never furled it. So it was just up and like set, but it, it was always just hanging in the rigging. Hanging <laughs> the, and they could set it, but they were just kind of like, you know, clue gotcha. up ish. Yeah. Right. It just looked like a rag on top of this yard. So our prank for them, I don't even think they had ratlins going up there, <laughs> this little mess. <laughs> So the prank that the, our Lady Washington crew pulled was we furled their sail. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. gasketed it, the whole thing. And so they're nice. just like, oh. Ooh, that's how that's supposed to look. What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty uh, hilarious. Uh, yeah, see, so there you go again. You're getting to the like, oh, you man. know, kind of shaming people for shoddy seamanship, you know. My very first impression of the Royal East ever, like going on board, was I stepped on board. Well, I didn't step on board. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, this is, this is a knowledgeable podcasts as well people can get some knowledge if you've never been on so here's how it works docks unless it says otherwise unless it's restricted or stay away um, if it's an open dock that's like a street okay so you're allowed to walk down a street that's fine do not go on anybody's boat not, that's like yeah. breaking and entering somebody's house mm. you know you climb on there you wouldn't climb on a stranger's roof right? right you wouldn't climb and break into someone's house it should be considered a felony yeah really. <laughs> do not step onto a person's boat you always ask permission yeah and so so i get up to the royal east and i say permission you know anybody on home you know anybody aboard permission to board and i hear this yeah man come on <laughs> in like i'm not joking i'm not exaggerating and so i step down and this place it reeks of marijuana i mean reeks of it and cat and it was the captain <laughs> yeah. there's only one person on board it was the captain he's like hey man come on in. you want to see the down. boat let me he's reeking of marijuana high as a kite i'm like is this for real? Like, do you have a license? Like, like, uh, what is going do you on? Take passengers out? I, I, I don't know. Like, like, I was just like, what the heck? And, and so he gave me this tour, and he's like, "You want to smoke?" I'm like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I've, and, got a, I've got like, a drug test. What and is a going license on? to and worry so, about? Yeah. So he showed me this crazy boat, and that boat she sunk more times in her moorings than I know. I've I mean, heard stories about oh, that boat just wild. being notoriously. You know, yeah, yeah that, no, exactly I have, that. <laughs> I have no idea what she's doing now. Maybe they cleaned their act up, or maybe <laughs> she's gone. Who knows? But, but boy, it was funny. Yeah, yeah crazy times. <laughs> yeah. So, so what? So you're on tall ships. 
you were at my wedding. Thank you. Right, you were right. like great time. There. One, of, one of the best men. There were, like, there were like two best men at my wedding unofficially. Yeah. Uh, we had the crazy bachelor party, which was awesome. And then Alex, Viking Alex, yeah. gave the speech at the wedding. But mm. you gave like this amazing speech at the uh, reception reception dinner. Yeah, the the previous night that was cool. Yeah, it was uh, man. That was a great time. That was and meeting your family too. This is not really on the ship subject, but like I just remember. Uh, Tomoke and uh, Takumi. Oh, yeah, names, the right? Japanese family. Yeah. So the Japanese family is there. And little did I know, like, giving gifts in Japan is a big deal. Oh, yeah. A big deal. So Takumi had been with us. I knew him. We've been, you know, <laughs> hanging out, partying through the bachelor party and stuff. Yeah. And then I met his little brother and the rest of his family. And so I was talking to, to am I saying that right? Tomoki? Yeah, Tomoki. Yeah. Yep. And so Tomoki and I were chatting it up and stuff. And I was wearing some, uh, beads that I'd gotten from a native trading ceremony on Lady. <clears throat> Very important to me. I care a lot about him, but I was talking to Tomoke and he was, you know, we were talking, he asked me about, we were chit-chatting and stuff and so I'm just like, oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. And so I gave him one of the strings of, of beads and he loved it. And then about five or ten minutes later, Takumi comes up to me just crying, just yep. bawling his eyes, <laughs> like hysterically crying. Like, oh my, you you gave that to my brother? And I'm like, oh, God. like the other one I had was actually my favorite and I didn't want to give that one away. So I was like, I feel like I should, but it wasn't he was crying because he was jealous or, or anything that felt left out. It was that it was like, apparently like the most honorable thing I could bestow upon their family to give a gift. And I was like, well, shucks, man. Yeah. If I ever need to feel better about myself, I'm just going to go to Japan and <laughs> start handing out nice things. And, you know, <laughs> well, they're, yeah, their culture, you know, as, as most people listening to this podcast know by now, I've, I lived there for three years. Yeah. And so yeah, huge gift giving culture. So, and you'll see it like, that's why when, when Japanese, which you don't see many Japanese tourists anymore, unfortunately, but when they come to the States, they'll buy, like a hundred of the same little trinket. Right. And the reason is because number one, you don't leave for another country. You know, you don't even leave for another province in Japan. Like all the provinces in Japan actually have monopolies on different types of gifts hmm. or at least did historically, wow. historically. Yeah. Cause Japan was isolated. Right. right? So you only can trade with a very country. homogenous culture. too. Yeah. To so if you have like some cool little gift, like, okay, this belongs to that village or this, and it could be the most r- ridiculous little thing. And right. like, it gets this aura of you went to that place. Oh my gosh, what a great gift. Thank cool. you for bringing it. Well, fast forward that to modern times where now we can cross oceans and it's just like, yeah. expert, like oh my gosh, this is insanely big. And um, so yeah, when you go to another country, you better come back with something and you better darn well have the same thing for everybody. Right. Because if you give a different gift, you have said, I really, really like this person right. and I really don't like you guys. Gotcha. And so I, I did, I played with the culture a little bit because... Because my supervisor and I, we, we were not getting along too well, unfortunately, despite both of our best efforts. I mean, I give him credit and myself credit too. Like I was doing Aikido when it was like, eh, you know, I wasn't really into that, but started getting into it. And it's like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Um, you know, I just wasn't in the physical violence because, I mean, the last time I'd been in a fight was high school and I, I pushed these two guys' heads into the ground and I felt horrible. I was yeah. just like, I don't, I don't ever want to hurt anybody ever again, you know, but... Uh, they both deserved it. I'm not going to lie. But right. At the same time, it's like I didn't want to do yeah. that. So anyway, um, uh, and I, I suppose every bully on the world says that, but I wasn't being a bully. I swear to God. <laughs> like they legitimately. They deserved it. They, they, they did. They did. They were being un- unreasonable. But uh, anyhow, so so Japan, I came back and my supervisor and I bought everybody the same gift. These little, uh, they call it, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, uh, sh- sh- oh, I forget the name. It's a. 
Sumara naimono. Sumara naimono. It's, a, it's a little thing that doesn't matter. Sumara naimono, I think, is the word. And and then I I know I knew that that the supervisor he had talked. We had gone to the sushi restaurant, and he talked about this. He looked at like, oh, that's a really neat sushi clock. And like, anytime you, you point something out to like an like a person in Japan, so like if you go into someone Japanese person's house, yeah, it, like what you want to say is like, oh, what a lovely room. Oh, what a lovely house. You do not want to point at something and say, oh, that's really neat. I like that. Because it could be the family's like heirloom, right. whatever, and from hundreds of years ago. Like the only thing in existence on the planet. And they will go up and give it to you forever. <laughs> and so like you've literally just ruined. Like, it, and I, I've seen it happen. It's crazy. So yeah. you just you go in and you just politely say, this is a nice room. Don't actually point to individual things and, and compliment Fascinating. Them. Yeah, and so so but so he's pointing at this clock. Like he obviously is interested in it. And so I'm like, man, well, I go to uh, Little Tokyo in LA, I'm looking around and I see that clock. And I'd looked for it in Japan. I'd looked for it, I looked for it online, couldn't find it. I find a sushi clock in <laughs> Little Tokyo, LA of all places. So I'm like, I want it. It costs hundreds of dollars. And the lady's looking at me like I'm insane. And I'm like, and I said in Japanese, like, onegashimasu, like, like very polite, like, I want, oh, please. <laughs> and she's like, okay, you crazy foreigner. <laughs> like, you know, I could see her, like, that's what she was saying. And I bought it and I gave it to him. I gave everybody their gift. And then I handed it to him and I said, sumara naimono desu, you know, and, and had, um, uh, you know, this is a small thing. And it was all packaged. And he opens it up and he just, like, his shoulders slumped and his head went down. He's like, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's all in Japanese, of course. But he's like, oh, thank you. Oh, really? You know, honto. You know, arigato. Honto, arigato. He was like, thank you. Really, really, thank you. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, so it was really cool. Yeah. So, like anyway, that. kind of segue there. <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, if you I ever like go to Japan, though. there's a little knowledge for you, yeah, folks. Good that's, to know. that's good what our podcast know. is about. Gift giving uh, is yeah. a big deal in Japan. That's the takeaway <laughs> from here. <laughs> but yeah, it was so funny. They came down and the two the two boys, they were on, on the boat uh, hauling away at stuff. <laughs> like these two guys, I don't think they ever, who knows if they pulled a rope in their life. And so they're <laughs> sitting there and I'm just like yelling at them in Japanese. Like, come on in! Come with that Japanese samurai intonation <laughs> that gets Japanese yeah. people moving. They're, they're screaming like, ah! <laughs> it was so funny. Good stuff. Yeah. So what'd you do after after that? Because I haven't talked to you in years. I mean, since then. Yeah, right. So, um, I mean, I've pretty much just been here. You know, I work for, we talked about this briefly before we recorded, but I guess I'll go back through it. Um, I work currently for a franchise of a company called Sale Time, which is basically boat ownership replacement. So people get ASA certified. And What's ASA? Uh, American Sailing Association. So it's basically your standard curriculum that you go to, you know, like uh, OCSC was a sailing club here that, I mean, they, they closed down because of the pandemic, unfortunately, but they, you know, teach these same kind of classes. We do as well, because basically we don't do chartered cruises. We teach people to get the certifications that they need to take the boats out on their own. So it's okay. true. And that by law, that has to happen. Yes. Yeah. We okay. as a, well, it's, it's insurance really is what it is. We have to have them certified in order for our insurance to cover the, the franchise kind of thing. So okay. it's not, it's a different category than regular charter boats because regular charter boats, you pay a captain right. who then has the responsibility. So in these, it's basically like a, a recreational vehicle, but you still have to have somebody on board who at least has basic ASA keel boat certifications in order to get. You know, and then that also involves actually like teaching them how to do man overboard drills and dock and undock the boat and all that jazz. 
So probably, <clears throat> probably the Coast Guard was just getting tired of hearing the radio calls where it's like, we're, we're out of anchors. What do yeah. we do? Like, we have some funny... <laughs> We have, we've had some funny instances. Uh, I probably shouldn't get too deep into some of that because oh, my boss no, might not a, like it. But one guy, don't name names. But. One guy was, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the people, this is in San Francisco Bay, so a lot of the people are in the tech industry. They work for Google, Facebook, you know, companies like that. And so they all, a lot of them have a lot of money. And a lot of them are very much like, you know, qualified for what they do. Other things, eh, not so much, you know. Mm. So we have one guy who was on a Tinder date. And he's out anchoring at Angel Island, and he oh. lost the anchor yep. and then couldn't get the motor started in his huff. So he called the Coast Guard, so they had to come swoop him up. And it wasn't even, I mean, the, the motor thing was just uh, in the flurry of activity. Mm-hmm. He had forgotten to turn on the, uh, we have a ground, you know, we basically have a, a interaction panel where you turn on the batteries to the motor and the house batteries and the house ba- or the, ma- the motor battery was off and so yeah. he was just like why isn't the motor turning on ah you know yeah. so he lost the anchor and had to get a tow from the coast guard it was it was funny it was funny wow. on a tinder yeah. date too like i don't know if, yeah, i don't think he got a second good. date <laughs> <laughs> hey let's go out of my boat oh uh, crap i don't know how to do anything on this boat you know <laughs> There you go. So, so that's that's a good pitch for your sale class. But yeah, <laughs> but, that Angel Island. So I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I lost an anchor yeah. out at Angel Island. Now, what what happened was you, you could see it on the chart. So it was off of uh, was a China Cove where they had the yeah. the old immigration. Uh, yeah, but like that's Ellis Island. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. like the Ellis Island. So there's a specific spot where the the uh, immigrants would come in and they would quarantine people if they needed it. And, and it was, they call it like the Ellis Island of, of the West Coast. Yep. And, uh, and I guess they call it China Cove because a lot of Chinese people came there yeah. originally. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, especially the Asiatic immigrants. Like, they yeah. wouldn't go to Ellis Island on the, West, on the East Coast. Right. They come straight from Japan, China and stuff and yeah, come and, straight here. Yeah. Yeah. And San Francisco, obviously, is a big hub. That's why you got mm-hmm. Chinatown. That's why you have the railroads. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, historical Chinese influence from immigrants there. Anyway, the chart shows a ruined pier. Right. You know, and, and things do change on charts. And that's what, but, but I should have known better. <laughs> so, but, but I was like, but, but the thing was, there were so many yachtsmen anchoring there. Every time I went past, yeah. there were yachtsmen anchoring like in <laughs> and amongst these, these supposed piers. And I never dove down there. I mean, it's gloomy water. Like, like you can't tell. And I'm just like, geez, well, if everybody's doing it, if all the locals are doing it, surely <laughs> there must be no obstacles there because they're not all going to be idiots. Like, there's no <laughs> way. And so, long story short, um, like an idiot, I decided <laughs> to anchor there and I couldn't get my anchor back. And so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving the boat around. I'm doing every trick I could think of. I mean, literally every yeah. trick. We had students on board. We had to go down south. We were going to Monterey. Mm. Um, you know, so it was, it was like a week-long trip. So, I'm like shoot well I got I mean I got a spare obviously I got two other anchors and so this is on one of the boats you're doing program this is on Schooner Seaward Seaward okay cool so so Seaward you know they have a wonderful uh, wonderful summer program where where they take young students junior high age or so and you can go get on the boat for a week and basically sail around the bay you learn how to sail a boat and by the end they're sailing the boat essentially and you're learning marine biology science you're getting ashore hiking all that kind of stuff well so Angel Island anchor off there can't get my freaking anchor back. I've got, I forget, I think I had 300, I think I had hundreds of feet of chain. Hundreds. <laughs> and only one thing I could do, all right, un- untire, yeah. let the chain roll out, which was like the worst feeling ever. Just <laughs> brrr, watch this anchor chain roll out. I'm like, man, I feel silly. We, we buoyed it, obviously. 
uh, contacted a salvage guy and uh, a diver diver mm-hmm. to pick it up. He it turns out he was pissed off because he thought we only had ninety feet of chain out. I had figure aided it in and, and and the way he described it, he said it was a graveyard of anchors, a graveyard. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that is hundreds oh, for of sure. anchors for sure. Every time, and so I had weaved this chain in and out. He's like, "How'd you do that?" So this poor guy <laughs> uh, brought in like th- four times as much chain as he expected, and it was all weaved in and stuff. And and so I was like, "I'm you know, never doing that again." Um, it, the good good news was, well, first of all, never doing that again. Learned my lesson. Don't always trust the locals. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you can get good no- local knowledge. <laughs> yeah, but just because everybody's well, doing it doesn't there, mean there it's are right. a lot of people in the bay that are really stalwart, like knowledgeable sailors. Oh yeah, you know for sure. There's oh, a yeah. long history, and the bay is very much like a hub for all sorts of maritime. You know, like people longshoremen and stuff like that. Uh, but then there's a lot of recreational boaters as well, yeah. and because there's such an economy for recreational boating. Plenty of people are less than knowledgeable. And so, yeah, I mean, they're like, oh, whatever. Let's just anchor here. It's yeah. the only spot left. That's another thing, too, is that you get these big weekends and a lot of boats will come out. You get a yeah. lot of people sitting there looking for a spot to anchor. And so sometimes it's just that that's the last thing that's left. It sounds like that's kind of the situation you were in. It's yeah. like running out of space to drop the hook. Yep. Well, that's, that's kind of, well no, I, I, I had no excuse. I think I just want to get closer ashore. But what, yeah. what ended up happening was I had my, my secondary anchor and we had a road for that. And it was cool because I would set up all the students on the road and just have them pull the ship to the anchor, right. you know, to, to break it out. Yeah. And so that ended up being, I was like, this is much better. This is faster. It incorporates everybody. Right. Like, like that was it that became standard procedure I'm like <laughs> nice. screw, screw the chain like, we'll, have, <laughs> yeah. we'll have 90 feet of chain as an emergency but like lift whatever with, we don't lift with your deck hands that would be windless you know <laughs> yeah so that ended up being, being a, a good thing in that sense so I don't know you always try to find the silver lining in every yeah. mistake and, every, and never, you know at least never you do learn it twice. something yeah. Yeah, there you go never do it twice don't do it twice <laughs> yeah that was cool why um Oh, how did, how did we get on Angel Island? I, can't I don't know. We were just talking about, uh, oh, yeah, you were talking about working in the Bay. And... So that's pretty much what I've been doing since. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I went there right away. So I basically, uh, Little Brothers Marine was just like a diving slash general uh, boat maintenance company that we all started together. Uh, me and my little brother and my older brother, we all started together. And that's kind of dissolved by now. I mean, we don't keep the license up or anything like that. But we basically... You know, I guess I worked at OCSC, that sailing club that is now, it's it's not gone, it's something else, like somebody else came in and bought the bones of the company. So I worked there for a year or two. Um, my brother Seth, he was the fleet service manager, and I worked under him. And then I got, I got the contract to do the diving for that fleet, because the diver we currently had was so busy, he was barely there, and he had other stuff, like working on tugs and stuff that was paying better. So this was kind of just like, you know, his secondary stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he was willing to give it up so I got that opportunity got into diving and did that for probably three years which is fun you know it's not nearly as fun here in the bay because it's all just mud and brown water <laughs> you know there's literally nothing interesting to see um, and so then yeah I mean I just kind of did that for a while and got this opportunity that started off just a couple days a week with Lisa at sail time <clears throat> and just kind of grew into uh, you know she, st- she kept paying me more and so I was like alright well if I can make good money not having to dive then i'll do that you know so mm-hmm. by this time or by you know spring or so i'll have my ticket and so i'll be doing pretty much full time for her um good benefits you know so yeah not nearly as exciting as sailing up and down the coast or 
going through you know crazy storms or anything like that but uh good steady work in the bay and just also you know i'm out on the water a lot and just you know kind of chilling and more <clears throat> more stationary than i have been in a long time you know f since i left home at like 19 um i maybe spent a couple of years just you know like bumping from house to house and then i was like you know what i want to get out there and i want to travel so i like did some backpacking i did just traveled around in my van and stuff like that. And then that's when I kind of started to get into tall ships. And I was like, this is a great way to travel places and have lodging. <laughs> and so basically for like five or six years, you know, I just didn't have a house anywhere. Um, and then, you know, this house we got, we have a really great landlord and it's just been, a, you know, a great spot. So it was kind of nice to have, I leaned on my maritime skills that I learned on tall ships to get the jobs that I got here. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of been one thing after another. And now, you know, I'll have my ticket, and I basically at this we're this next summer we're going to be kind of scaling up a little bit, and that involves a lot more work. So I don't know if I'll get to do it this summer or not. But I basically am working to a situation where I can take two three months off to go do a, a contract on a tall ship or something like oh, that, cool. and come back and just have and just jump right back into full time work. So that's really awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely, uh, you know, haven't been doing nearly as much tall ship sailing as I wanted to. And I'm actually kicking myself because the Matthew Turner is sailing all the time. I see it out there yeah. and I just haven't gotten over there to go volunteer on that boat yet, which is a shame. She's a lovely boat and it's really cool to see. I mean, we went there uh, when it was just her bones, you know, yeah. and we pulled in on in 2015 on Lady. And that was really cool to see. The whole construction method they're using is really cool. You know, a lot more sustainable than cutting down big trees. Yep. And the trees that they got were, you know, already fallen down. It was a conservancy project from Northern California that they got their trees from. So it's not like they're going in and logging old growth or anything like that. So yep. <clears throat> that was really cool to see. I need to get involved with that program. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's funny. The Bay is so silly. It's like... I live in the East Bay. I rarely go across the bridges. I go to Pier 39 for work, you know. But I guess I'm a bridge and tunnel guy. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Nothing wrong with that, I suppose. So what do you what do you miss? Uh, well, you obviously you miss the community in the tall yeah. ships. You miss the shipmates and all that. What what other thing? What do you miss the most? Like, or, mm. or or what's what was your what was your most interesting or fascinating or just wonderful moment? You ever had out at sea or on a boat? Yeah, I've had a lot of times that were really like significant, you know. I mean, one time it was really dark. We were offshore, you know, and it was a night watch, uh, full moon, and then, you know, just seeing like bioluminescence and seeing dolphins just, you know, little green light up missiles just kind of launching out of the water and back in and, and that stuff despite like that. the full moon I mean because the moon's pretty freaking bright yeah. on this planet no so. it was actually and it was not you know if there was no moon then it, I don't know if it was full moon. There was moon was out it was a okay. solid moon moon was out and it was clear so it was wow. pretty bright so you could actually see the moonlight reflecting off their bodies a little bit but also still see the bioluminescence That's enough incredible. to see it so that was really cool and just you know I mean I remember being in Vancouver uh, and being out on the harbor and just like going up to Furl and it's like sunset and just being up there and just like looking around seeing all the boats and bc is just a beautiful place and the sun's setting and i'm just like man i'm in a i'm like a norman rockwell painting you know <laughs> so i mean i definitely miss the experiences <laughs> one of the things i miss a lot of is like i was saying earlier about how everything everybody just kind of gets boiled down to their essence and you really get this kind of bond with people it's hard to find elsewhere you know i've had a lot of people that I've you know seen come on board and 
just grow into this person and like I would live and die for you and I feel the same you know reciprocity I mean people you kind of have to put yourself if, as if you're a shipmate especially long term you might face situations that are risky and dangerous and and the ship stays together when people put themselves on the line for their shipmates kind of thing you know and unfortunately like when the bounty sank like that was those are bad decisions and you know, I'm not. I don't know exactly what happened with the crew while it was actually going on, but you know, you have a responsibility for each other, and that breeds this kind of like, I don't know. It's just different. It's just not a way that, that it's not a kind of interaction that I've ever found with other people. Is just how deeply you get to know each other, and I mean, you know, sometimes you don't mesh, and that's obviously like, yeah, that's that's harder because if you live on a boat with people you don't really mesh with well things can get rough real quick you know and yeah. that's fine like not everybody's going to be everybody's friend but the people the the relationships that i've developed over the years are just like things i know will stick with me for a long time people that i'll see you know and go visit you know years from now so i miss that you know i definitely miss uh just the footloose and fancy free kind of thing you know there's so many things about living in modern society that you know, I grew up. Uh, I grew up homeschooled, and so I was kind of an outsider from society for a lot of my young life. And then in my adult life, I was like, I want to go out there. I, want, I didn't want to be what my parents wanted me to be. I just wanted to go figure out who I was. And uh, in in that kind of self discovery process was when I found tall ships. And coming back, and now it's just like, holy cow, the mundanity of life when you live in a house <laughs> is is infuriating at times. Uh, and that's not to say that things aren't mundane on boats. They definitely can be. But you just exist in this microcosm. I remember <clears throat> one of my first big days off being on shore and uh, and looking at the boat going out and just seeing everybody on board and stuff and just being like, wow. Wow. that Like, you're there and it just feels so normal after you get adjusted to it. Yeah. Then you see it from shore and you're like, that's different, you know. Yeah. That's not something no, that true. happens almost anywhere else. And I remember just being really taken aback by like seeing it and being like, oh, "Yeah, I live that. I do that. That's me." You know, it's not you know, it's not your typical existence. Yeah. And I miss that. I really miss that. You know, I definitely love to be in non-standard living situations where the clock isn't necessarily your master. I mean, obviously on tall ships you have schedules for sure. Yep. But it's just different, you know. I also like being just woken up and having breakfast jabbed in my face. That's that's great for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what, what happens, especially as a deckhand, because I never wore a watch as a deckhand. Yeah. So you're you're on the schedule. Yes, I mean, like there's 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 rituals and there's right. there's a um, every day is structured. Right. Quite. I mean, to but the I'm, minute. Yeah, when, the when clock because yeah, you were mate. Like you, you know, get, like yeah. like it's sometimes it's to the minute. It's yeah, structured very much. But as a deckhand, it's just yeah, you follow orders. So yeah. it's like oh okay. Main well, course so, gets called. You go to the main hole. You, you know? eat. Oh, this is what we're doing today. We're yeah. doing chores. You know, and you know to do the chore fast, and you know you have enough time to accomplish your chore because that's mm-hmm. what they're designed for. And and then it's like yep, just be out on deck. So it's so really the only time is like when you're out on deck and you need to be dressed up in whatever uniform or costume you're yeah. you're in. But beyond that, it's like as a deckhand, yeah, you just fall. Yeah, I never needed a watch. So in that sense, yeah, time yeah. wasn't so important. I did oh. really like being the mate, though, too. I mean, even though it was a lot more structured and it was a lot more work, it was super fun. Yeah. Certainly being on deck, I don't, you know, I'm sure you notice, like, I like to have this kind of a bravado and, like, <laughs> almost <laughs> be like, a, I don't know, a little bit of a dictator. Like, I holler a lot. And I think it's really fun because, A... The people want to see a bit of a show, you know. Yeah. I'm not like degrading people or anything like that, 
but just being like and especially in the the moment when you're moving around and stuff and I, you know i've got my general voice and then like you need to do this now voice kind of thing but it's super fun when you get deckhands you know that actually know what they're doing and everyone starts to come together and it almost always happens especially with the lady washington's program you have a lot of turnover this you know kind of this undulation of like how good people are at doing their jobs and taking orders it waxes and wanes but when it's you know it's really fun to see like okay a new crew comes you got to focus on training but then when things really start to click it's really rewarding being up on the quarter deck and just like you know say it's voice activated technology because we holler and people go do the things <laughs> you know but it's super fun you know it's super fun to see people kind of grow into that and then you know i don't know maybe i play god a little bit every now and again i remember one time when uh we had to kick one person off of the sale and it was between benton and Sh uh, Sharon, Sharon, Cheryl, the girl from Alaska. Uh, I think it was uh, Sharon. Sharon, yeah, yeah. great girl. Uh, she was really great. She picked. She was a kick-ass deckhand too. I remember that a lot. But it was between the two of them. You know, I was like, who are we gonna kick off? And I was like, I know what to do. So it's like, Benton, Sharon, battle royale on the main hold hatch right now. So they jump up there <laughs> like, Rrr! and of course she gets him because she's you know strong. And yes. Benton was not. It was. I don't know if sickly is the right word. No. <laughs> he was a smaller guy. He was a gentle soul. <laughs> He's a nice kid. He was a smaller nice, guy. Nice guy. And uh, yeah, Very so nice. she got him off. And luckily that didn't end in like some silly injury or anything like that. They were, you know, they weren't like throwing blows right, or anything. Right. They were just kind of like half-hearted wrestling. And yeah. stuff. But they didn't know what was going on. They just did a battle royale. And I love that they just hopped to it. They're like, no questions. All right. Mate says battle royale. It's battle royale time, you know. So yeah. they're up on there. She gets him off. And I'm like, all right, Benton, you're off the sale. Like, what? Like, mm -hmm. That's what that was about. We were figuring out, you know, the. Oh, that's the, funny. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Nah, I'm just well, kidding. No. I'm not going to say disparaging things about yeah. that. And he was a good kid. Never, but. never get into a battle royale with an Alaskan woman. Oh yeah, that's no, just, don't do that, that. Yeah, you will. You don't want to do that ever. Um, <laughs> what was I thinking of the? Uh, uh, oh yeah, in, in in a role playing context, I find people are willing to do and put up with just about anything. Yeah, it's incredible. Like <laughs> like the normal people that would be, I don't know. It's wild. Like, yeah. like they'll be just like, oh, we'll work twelve hours. Done. Like in role playing, they'll do it. Yeah, you know, and, and like that's more work than they'll do in a month. It, it's <laughs> it's crazy. I love role playing and larping and all that. It's it's so Same. much fun. Same. But um, but yeah, the boats though. It, well, it, it's it's an interesting balance because. Especially on, on you know on the Grace Harbor boats, we were dressing up in, in costumes, and it, so it's a little different that way. Um, you know, yeah. it's historic costumes, but still. But uh, but the work is real. The consequences are real if you screw up. That's oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, oh, yeah. no, the ocean doesn't care yeah. what we're doing one way or the other. Period. Yeah. <laughs> like you are yep. you are a guest. You will always be a guest. You can only be a guest mm -hmm. in the sea, and that's just the truth of it. Yeah. So it kind of keeps you on your toes. I find. Yeah. At least for me. I always have this feeling of like, I don't know, I have <clears throat> kind of very spiritual feelings about like what happens after you die and stuff like that. And I really think that if I was to choose like a belief of what I think actually happens, like <laughs> reincarnation seems to make the most sense to me. I also get feelings of just like snapping back to like old times and stuff, you know, so... When I was on Lady, I remember having this kind of thing where I was like right before the mast and I'm like looking up and I just had this like being a feeling of being on the Lady, like going around the horn or something, you know. <laughs> and so I just get this thing where I would be starting to get grumpy, you know, or my hands are sore or it's cold or whatever. And I'd always snap back to that feeling of like 
people had it way worse than you back in the day. They didn't even have foot ropes when they went around the horn, you know? Like, oh, man. So yeah. that kind of thing, I'm like, all right, all right, I should quit complaining well, and hop to it, you know? Well, I remember reading one of the logbooks from the original Lady Washington going around the horn, and yeah. like, I believe it was a young man that was writing this, this lo- or maybe it was his journal, but he was describing the entire boat awash. Yeah. In green water. So that means the boat was literally a submarine. Yeah. I mean, the lady. At times going was around a, the horn. She was rigged as a sloop at this point. Yeah, right? Because she got refit in China after being on the West Coast into a was brig. It, was it China or was if it I'm the not Northwest? Mistaken. I forget. If I'm not mistaken. It was at that time, anyways. Yeah. So it was after they'd come she, around the horn and she was re rigged. Yep, she was a sloop going a around the horn, for sure. And she also didn't Which have. Just a one masted vessel. She didn't have gunnels. There was no, there was no sideboard sticking up above the boat for much of the boat because oh, wow. it was designed to basically, you know, because you've got these just towering waves, 60 feet tall sometimes, and the boat would just plow in and so you'd ship so much water that if you had gunnels, more of that would go into the boat than you could handle. Oh, and so that's, you know, very much was a, a submarine. And then if you're on deck, like you're just holding on to man ropes, I guess, you know. Yeah, I don't know what, uh, yeah, I don't know if they would physically tie themselves in or how <laughs> they did it. Uh, exactly you, you really get your grip on that's for sure yeah even frozen hands which is just insane to think about like you don't have weather gear you know you've got like what do they call them uh it's like the equivalent of like wellingtons now but like slickers you know kind of thing but everybody's wet all the time yeah it's cold well the hand knit wools i mean i know just sailing on the viking ship like the people that actually had the modern stuff were colder than the people that had the hand knit wools yeah and uh, so, so some of that old equipment is actually a lot better than than you know, modern people like to think we got all the good stuff. But right. and we, we have some pretty neat technology. But some of those old school methods really hold up. It's so. really hard. Yeah, there's something to be said about really, really high quality and and just some some natural things are actually quite good. Yeah. So the oil skins they would have been waterproof. Oil for skins. Sure. That's the word that was yeah. looking for. They, yeah, they would have been waterproof. Skins. That said, I mean you can watch you know footage from 1928 around Cape Horn yeah. where he's like. Yeah, I mean, but you get soaked. You get yeah. soaked through and if through, you, despite if the oil skins. In the front of a big, you know, amount of water coming on board, and it hits you. Oh yeah, you're done. It's yeah, gonna I mean, get up in your clothes exactly. for sure. Yeah. So, so. you go to, you go to sleep. You know, you, you, what, Irving Johnson. He, I'll definitely do a solo episode about around Cape Horn. Oh, for and, sure. And uh, that I, ship and that trip yeah. on itself, like that's a whole episode, maybe a series of episodes. Yeah, I don't it's, know. it's great. Because you could even tell this whole backstory too. I mean, Irving and Exy, they were really cool. They that's you true. know, they basically pioneered what are now today's tall ship programs. You know, they were yeah. taking the youth out and going through the canals in France and England and stuff. And they did they did some really interesting. I found a National Geographic on board the Zodiac about their trips through the canals because you can go from like Normandy to Italy on huh. canals. I think that far. Like wow. you can travel through much, if not a good portion of Europe, on canals. And so they had this really cool boat that had a folding mast so it was a sailboat but the mast would fold down mm-hmm. and these photos of them going through these tunnels and they've got three or four feet of clearance on the top six or eight inches on either side like not much clearance wow and uh, they just cruise through so that would be really fun i'd love to recreate that trip or something along those lines just going through i mean the canal boats in europe are super cool and some people have turned them into like really fun little living situations i would eat that up just travel <laughs> through europe tie up wherever you know, go get some beers and brats and stuff. And like, yeah, that would be fun. Awesome. <clears throat> well, all right. Well, I think we, we'll wrap this up. Is there any last things you want to talk about? Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, because you mentioned the bounty. 
and, and just yeah. crew members, uh, just so people are aware of, I did an interview with Josh Scornavacci, who hmm. was one of the survivors. Oh, right. And I didn't know that. I know Josh. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it's, folks, if you haven't listened to my interview with Josh, I highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's a long interview, but I guarantee you, once you get started, he'll have you at the edge of your seat. It's, it's incredible. And, um, yeah, and just listening to his interview and listening to him talk about, like, those crew members, they were definitely taking care of each other. Yeah. Um, there were definitely some poor decisions made from the top. Yeah. From what I understand, but, it was a bad idea to have gone out yeah. in the first place. I've well, they, also heard a lot of horror stories about the state of repair oh, and no, disrepair and, Yeah, boat, and Josh you know? gets into to so, great detail about yeah. that. But but I'd say, you know, leadership aside, like the crew, they were taking care of each other yeah. and they were it was a life or death situation and people yeah. were it wasn't Two every people died, you know, the yeah, captain. It wasn't every person for else. himself. So yeah. no, I'm sure. You know, and the thing is, is like in that situation, it could have been all hands lost. If it could not have taken been. care of each other. Yeah. You know? Certainly more could have died, yeah. I think, had they not been helping each other. Once you get into that kind of situation, the danger factor is just through the roof. You know, yeah. it's just not, you know, it's obviously something you want to avoid in the first place. I mean, I feel, I'd feel kind of remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the worst transit I ever had on Lady. Oh, heck yeah. Let's talk so about it. <laughs> it's, and it was really kind of an interesting time because it was, I think, I'm trying to remember if it was the same year that bounty sunk or if it was a different year <clears throat> it was really interesting though because the, in contrast you know there was very much the lady could have sunk if if people didn't step up you know and it's weird i don't like talking about it too much because i was part of what was happening and i always feel like i'm just you know trying to toot my own horn and i don't like that but basically um this is 2012 ish ish yeah it was either yeah, so no, folks, just just so you know, yeah. Grace Harbor is under different leadership than yeah. back in those times. Just Grace Harbor has gone through a massive yeah. change just, just in policy, which I think is a great thing. Much more responsible, and uh, <clears throat> they used to things were fast and loose there, especially back in the day, from what I hear. But I won't comment on <laughs> things of which I have only heard. So, anyways, we're taking Lady down the coast, and uh, it was basically we're leaving from Westport. Chieftain had already left. We knew there was a storm coming in. So Rocky was David Bonner. He was captain of Chieftain at the time. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and he's like, I want to get out ahead of this thing and get down. And Chieftain's a much faster boat in transit. So it was they were able to. They skipped past the whole thing. I think they had the record fastest transit from Westport to San Francisco at that time, which was like four days and a few hours change, something like that. So they beat the whole thing. We leave Westport maybe a day later, day and a half. I'm not sure. Uh, we're coming out, and it's pretty, it's starting to get pretty rough. So we actually pulled into Coos Bay and spent the night there, and we did some reefing training and stuff, and we're like, okay, we should be okay. And I don't know uh, why exactly we decided to keep going. I know some of it was the schedule and stuff, but we basically went back out, and then we just ran headlong into the worst storm I've ever been around while it's happening. So... Mm -hmm. Just brief, you know, description of the situation was mostly, I don't know, gale force winds, I guess, like 50 to 55 knots sustained much of the time, and then That's... gusts up to like 65. Is that hurricane force winds? Or is no, that, that you're, you're... Gale is like 35 to 65, I think, right? 35 to 45 sustained. 45. Um, yeah, but you have, so... different, you have different scales of gales, but that you're looking at, that's storm at that point. So that's yeah. that's below a hurricane, but not by much. Is it? But 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 of course, wind's exponential. So you go from fifty to sixty. It's it's not a oh we've gone right. up you know twenty percent. Right. It's like no 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 no. Your your the effect yeah. on the water is gonna be a hundred percent worse. Yeah. So 
And the, I'm don't I'm making up those numbers a little bit, folks, but it is an exponential. It curve. exaggerates the higher you get, yeah. you know. So we've so, had. So you were in. You were. It, it would have been over twenty because the worst I was in was a full four scale, and I actually misspoke. I did an interview with one of the guys that was with me on this. It was so cool. Um, Steve, Steve uh, Mongo is his nickname. Hmm. But I say we were in 18, 20 foot swells. And thinking back on it, I, I don't know what's the size of the swells actually were. They were at least 18, 20 feet, yeah. but I wasn't factoring in wind waves. So right. it was probably a little higher. So you were probably in getting approaching 30 feet. I, I think would the imagine. waves were 25 to 30 feet. They were huge. Okay. Yeah. So we get out and they're like, my first watch, we have two people fighting the tiller. What, what was the direction of the wind? Which way? You guys are headed south. Uh, we were headed south and it was southwesterly. So you're going so, almost into it. Yeah, we, well, we basically had to because... And, and you have a contrary current because the West Coast current heads yeah. north to south. Yeah. I mean, the, the waves were monstrous. They were huge. That is really dangerous. Holy so crap. We had basically, you know, I mean, estimates, estimates, because obviously I can't get out there with a tape measure and measure the waves, but 25 to 30. And I feel and like probably at times... steep. I would guess. <laughs> oh, and like short interval. Too. Yeah. So yeah, bumpy going, as going all against hell. The current like Just that. bumpy as all hell. I get out there on my first watch, and we have two people fighting the tiller just to keep us into the wind. And Connie Allen, she was first mate at the time, she told me that, and multiple times, she was like, if we have to, we're going all in the main hold, and we're going to lash that shut, and we're just going to ride it out and hope we don't end up on the rocks. Because basically, we were we were not, if I remember correctly, and the wind was more southwesterly, so we were not, like, it wasn't quite lee shore situation, but mm -hmm. it was, it could have been, you know? And we were, it was a solid day and a half, maybe two, maybe 48 full hours of just this gnarly storm. Multiple watches where uh, everything was pretty much like we're just holding on. And, you know, we had, two, like I said, two people fighting the tiller. I remember getting bucked by that thing, just tossed into the boards. Yeah. Um, and so we're holding on, just trying to keep it up into the wind, basically, is all we were doing. <laughs> and when, you know, so far everything had been fairly mild. It had been just holding on to that. And my first watch, um, I don't remember even necessarily the series of events as they transpired, but we were a alpha watch. And then we ca started calling us alarm watch by the end of it because <laughs> for like three, four uh, watches in a row, we had something go down. Jeez. So <laughs> one of those was the engine room lit on fire basically the pto belt had there was a, a pair of vice grips that was on a nice like they're solid hooks like it's meant to it's sea stowed on the hook but we were just i mean it was bell ringers every other roll basically so we're we lost those the vice grips off of their hook and they ended up in the pto pump belt so somebody went to do a boat check and they opened the hatch to the uh for those who don't know on lady washington to get in the engine room it was just a hatch on deck, right? So open the hatch, smoke just comes billowing out, which that is not what you want to see <laughs> in the middle of a storm at night. You're like, we're like, oh my God. And so we wake up Brennan, who was the engineer, <clears throat> and to his great credit, against all of our training, he go, he just poof, down down the hatch. Oh my God. Figures it out, gets it. You know, we I don't know if we had to shut the engine down. I'm not sure exactly how he sorted it out, but he got it out. The vice grips themselves were just like red hot and like starting to melt and that was what's causing all the smoke so luckily it wasn't an actual fire but it was the predecessor to one and certainly yeah. the predecessor to mechanical failure in the engine which would have been catastrophic uh which was one of the things that you know when the bounty was going down it was once the engine went that was when they're like all right we can't do anything else it's abandoned ship time so long story short he gets down there sorts that out gets it off and uh replaces the pto pump belt because that's a very necessary system in that kind of situation. Yeah. You don't want to be without your PTO pump 
for uh, also for the uninitiated, that's your main like crash pump to get water out of the boat if you're in a sinking situation. <clears throat> so that's that's one watch, you know. Um, I don't remember if that happened before or after the this other stuff, but one watch basically. I get up and uh, I come up on deck, and Maddie, the bosun, and Brennan are up on the main. What had happened was. <clears throat> Excuse me. The catarpins is what they're called. They're a very essential part of the the main mast or any mast in this traditional style of rigging. They basically hold the uh, shrouds together at their top. So each set of catarpins is the anchor point for the structure of the mast up above it. Those had parted because of how much we were rolling and the weight of the stack just took it. Well. It was also the wrong material had been used in the lashing before, uh-huh. so that was a big part of it. It was, it was they had used elephant same twine, like really thick same twine. It was supposed to be spun dacron, which doesn't stretch and which has a specific load bearing, uh, you know, tolerance for that specific thing. So those had blown, which sounds I don't know, is that bad? Like yeah, what it means is your whole entire rig is now not supported, or at least the main stack was not supported, and so we're just rolling and it's just. It's just crashing. It's like really only a matter of time before the rig comes down at that point because now the main structure has failed and now you've got this unsecured. The course yard is so heavy and and it's like it's looking really bad. So they're up there. Brennan was up there and he just got too worn out from all, you know, his last, I believe it was his previous watch was the one that he'd jumped down, you know, <laughs> to much harm to his health into a smoky engine room oh and saved God. everybody then. So he comes down. I go up with Maddie and we're lashing this down. So we're working on that. And so this is basically the longest single watch of my life right here because we've already had situations going on. We've, you know, we've been in the storm for 12, 16 hours, something like that. I'm up here. We're, we're fixing the catarpins. We finally get them lashed to some semblance of order, where the, which, is, which was really like we had to hit a breaker bar up there and do uh, marlin hitches and be just like leaning on it as, as we're rolling in order to, to get it, you know, lashed together because you want to actually have those together somewhat anyways long story short we get that done it's a laborious thing we get it done so as we're doing this uh, we look over at the four is this at daytime or night this was during the daytime during the day yeah because the previous night was when i'm pretty sure when the alarm happened in the engine room if i remember correctly but uh yeah so this is during the day i handle the main stack we look over on the four mast and we had done extra like sea furrow lashings on the sails, yeah. but the Tagallant worked its way out, oh. which also is very bad. Oh, you know, 55 yeah. knots of wind, you don't want any canvas up at the top of your rig where everything's the smallest and the wind is the hardest. Yep. So me and Maddie, we had to go up in the worst sea state I've ever seen in my life. We had to go up this, and the, the, for those who are listening, the Tagalant is the very top sail that lives up there. So we're talking 80 feet above the deck or so, uh, and rolling in just the, the gnarliest sea that you could think of, just like rolling back and forth, water's coming over the deck, everyone's soaked. I mean, there's no staying dry in this situation. So we go up, we get up there, and then the, you know it's rolling around, because obviously it's like a fulcrum, you know, how at the bottom of the boat, if it's rolling back and forth to a degree, you extrapolate that up to the top, that's a huge swing back and forth. So it's yeah. a really very dangerous situation. But we get up there, we, we're working on it, we're pounding it in, and Maddie and I remember just being like, we're talking about things as if 
There was nothing wrong. It was kind of this like <laughs> we just both agreed that like this is no this is not serious. We're just we're just furling a sail. You know, we didn't talk about this, but internally <laughs> we both just like ah, we're up there. We're just shooting the crap, you know. And I'm like, you owe me a cigarette when we get back down, you know. Kind of like just willing myself to make it back down the deck, you know. And so and this is quite a long time. I mean, it took. It took. It takes way longer to climb in those situations because yeah. you've got every roll. Basically, you're getting yanked off the shrouds, yeah. and then you come back. Now you've got a little bit of time to climb, but you got to think about that every time it rolls. So we get up there, we lash it down. It finally, all right, it's good. So we start coming down, and the main topmast sail, uh, staysail, main top staysail was blowing out too. So like we had to stay up there sail. and furl that, oh, furl that, blah blah yeah. blah. So I spent probably, you know, I spent a whole watch in the rig that time, that watch, basically. Not the whole entire thing, but the majority of it. And so I get back down. Oh, actually, well, as I'm crawling down from the Tagalant, mm-hmm. we have this big roll. And the, the fuddocks, I don't even know if they call it fuddocks, the, tr- the trestle trees where the, where the uh, shrouds come down yeah. from the, the Tagalant, it's very thin. You know, we're talking quarter inch line that you're holding on to and you're yeah. rolling once again I'm, I'm still up very near the top so it rolls this yeah, and way those, those are the fuddock shrouds yeah, yeah. fuddock shrouds okay yeah. so they're rolling to port and I'm, I'm on starboard so I'm just fine we roll back to starboard and my feet come off because we basically rolled so far I mean there was maybe like 30 to 45 degrees of angle between the mast and the ocean you know the, the maelstrom oh my so my feet come off and I'm hanging pretty much down like my feet are probably sticking <laughs> back a little bit but I look and I'm no shit like I'm holding like this and I'm looking and then I look forward to the deck of the boat and then it's just like it's just open sea and I'm like it's gonna come back it's gonna, it's gonna roll back it rolls back and it cut back onto the shrouds and you know, I think the mate had to change her trousers after that because she thought I was going to die. Wow. And I'm really thankful I didn't because, yeah, I mean, there's no there's no man overboard drill in this situation. And there's also no maintaining visual sight of somebody in a sea that's, you know, 30 feet tall. So, yeah, so I come back out of the shrouds, crawl down. It's still not over yet. Got to furl the main, main top mistasal. So I handle that, get back down. <laughs> and I think it was a little bit before the end of my watch that they're like, you can just go. You just go lay down, man. I'm sure you're exhausted. And I was. I was soaked head to toe. So I go into the forecastle and I strip all the way down because I'm just, everything I have is completely soaked at this mm-hmm. point. Towel myself off because it looks like I've been swimming. I lost my favorite watch cap up on the Tagalant too, and that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so I come back down. I towel off. I have in my bunk. Oh, I breathe a little bit. I vomit, not from seasickness, but from pure adrenaline. Like, no shit. That's the only time it's ever happened to me. Just like, and I'm like, <laughs> and so I'm like breathing. Like, oh. And I'm just relaxing. I'm just so tired. And I hear a snap, crackle, pop happen under my bunk. There was an extension cord where, one, where my bunk light has plugged into under the mattress. Uh-huh. And wa- enough water had gotten there that it was shorting. Oh crap! And so I'm like, boat's on fire, <laughs> boat's on fire. Like, so I get up and I'm like, butt naked. And I'm, like, I'm like, everybody in the forecastle, get up, get out, fire, fire, you know, because I don't have the bell to ring or anything yeah. like that. And so I, I climb up the ladder hatch. And, you know, one of the things you don't realize unless you've been in this kind of a windy situation is wind is loud. Yes. It is deafening. So you can hardly, and it just carries your voice away, you know? So it's hard to hear. 
So now I'm like, after all of this, after I mean, this is so for me getting down into the forecastle to like throwing up and then realizing there's a fire situation is maybe five or ten minutes. Like I have no time to rest and I'm still just wired from adrenaline. <laughs> so I climb up and I was like, "There's a fire in the forecastle!" And I'm just yelling because I need to kind of sort it out and make sure everybody else is coming out. But I got to sound the alarm and they're all the way at the quarter deck. And uh, basically, they said they could hear me in, like, the aft cabin because I was yelling. It's just like, <laughs> fire in the folks it's like, it's like, oh. And it's also like, nobody thought it was a prank or anything, but it was almost just, like, disbelief. Like, wait, wait, another fire? Another situation? What is going on? You know, so everyone hops to, and we, you know, shut down the power, and Brennan had to crawl out of his bunk again and sort it all out. And like, yeah, so it wasn't an actual fire, but it was once again the predecessor to a fire, yeah. which was just, you know, an electrical short in a situation where, you know, yeah, you're on a wooden boat that's coated in incendi fairly incendiary materials. Like, it's a bad situation. So <clears throat> basically, yeah, longest wash of my life, longest <laughs> transit, you know, and it, uh, I'm trying to remember if anything other major happened. I mean, we had one of our... Uh, guest that came with us was fairly older and uh, he was a great guy he was just like super gritty you know and he just yeah. he was one of those guys you could tell it's like when he's with his wife he's just the nicest guy and he's just so straight edge and he just loves like adorable older couple but when he's on the boat you know that like kind of dirty sailor type <laughs> comes out and so and i love that super fun he was in the main hold and it was just, you know, we're rolling all over the place. So at one point he lost his footing and he hit his head oh. under the stairs somewhere and it just, just gashed his head open. Oh so we gosh. had an injury. Uh, we had a few people who were just so seasick that they couldn't, they didn't function. They were just in their bunks, just absolutely miserable. <laughs> and so, yeah, anyways, after that long, long watch, like things started to cool down. The, the storm's starting to die. I finally get a decent amount of sleep because I'm exhausted at this point. Yeah. And the so that was like, I don't remember if that was the night or the day, but the storm's starting to die. But And then long story short, I'm in, I'm sleeping, and I think it was just after all that. So I'm finally like so exhausted. I'm sleeping. I'm having, you know, just the best sleep of my life because I'm just so unconscious at this point. And the, the next thing I hear is somebody hollering down, hey, in the forecastle, all hands on deck. I'm like, oh God, what is happening now? All hands on deck to recover a deployed life raft. <laughs> oh my God. Like, so like, everybody piles out. And luckily their life raft was empty. It had just gotten pitched off the deck of somebody's boat. But it was like, what? And are we going to find bodies in this thing? Like, oh, come on. Wow. wow. But it was actually like, you know, so that way we recovered that. And that was super novel. That wasn't crazy or anything. But it was actually really interesting. The next couple of days, we had about two days left of transit to get down, you know, because the, the storm was like Washington, Oregon border kind of, and we're just driving into it. And then we finally start making some time after it dies down and the rig was in shambles, you know? So we're just like, well, let's start fixing the rig, you know? And it was really interesting. You know, it was this kind of time of like peacefulness after the storm. We're all just happy to be alive and not injured, you know? Yeah. And we finally gotten like a good night's sleep. And then it was like glass and it was just sunny beautiful day to just be a part of a crew and be on the boat like all right well you know let's go fix the rig let's put this boat back together it kind of felt like how you know i'm sure a lot of sailors of yore have felt about like you know same kind of situation i mean they went through crazy gales and storms all the time and yeah i don't know it was interesting it was definitely a crazy experience 
And my, my commentary is very centered on my role. The truth of the matter is everybody at some point played a role that, you know, contributed to the welfare of our entire ship. Like, it was everybody keeping their stuff together and, like, you know, really handling a very adverse situation, which was scary as hell. You know, it was very scary, and we're out there. And once you're out there, though, there's nothing you can do. You can't go back into port. Mm-hmm. Can't go to port in that kind of situation. Like you no. literally just have to no, ride not, it out. Yeah, not Keys Bay, not, yeah. not with that swell. So or or any or what Bodega Bay? You're gonna go into Bodega Bay? I mean, even if you have a good like maybe in like the bay, you could get away not, with it. Not from the southwest. You you wouldn't you wouldn't be protected. Yeah. So, so that's that's the problem. Right. It's, right. It's the southwest. You're, you're northwest. Have, yeah. You're gonna have giant yeah. swells as you're rolling into a breakwater. Yeah, northwest be get... fine. You round Bodega Bay Point. <laughs> It's, yeah. that's easy at that point but but not the not selfish yeah and the wind was all, it's also like this whole time two people fighting the tiller just to keep it on the wind like yeah. the wind was overpowering the boat and so the diesel was running like 2500 rpms just to like just to keep us on the wind like it was it was pretty insane that's wild well i'm glad you guys made it obviously yeah. Same. um yeah i think had you had a direct southerly or or south you just wouldn't have been able to go like yeah. you just wouldn't you wouldn't have made any headway at all yeah Period. I mean, when it was blowing, we were making a knot and a half in the stern to stern. Stern, okay. Yeah, so well, we were going go. backwards. Wow, that's so, incredible. Yeah, it's definitely one of the craziest things I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. I got a big old kiss from the girl who was on my girl who was on Chieftain at the time, <laughs> and they were just like worried as hell, like because it's actually really funny too. So my dad loved the fact that we were on tall ships and stuff, and you know, being young and petulant. <laughs> kids or young petulant kids we, we you know there was it was hard to find things our dad was proud of right mm. so my dad was proud of this he was super stoked plus jeremiah gempler was captain at the time and he had been like literally my dad was like counselor at church camp where jeremiah was was in his like group at church camp you know so they had known each other and that's actually how we got the whole intro to the boats and everything is okay. through them and uh, yeah, so basically Jeremiah, the only contact we have with the office or anybody is Jeremiah sending out periodical texts to like his family and also my, and my dad as well. So Seth and then my girlfriend at the time, Katie, they were on Chieftain and they had just blown past the whole thing. So they're getting like third or fourth hand information relayed in, you know, I mean, like we're talking flip phone, flip phone, SMS, like yeah. not exactly character heavy, information heavy communication methods so this is just every now and again there's a message going out and the messages read like had an alarm fire in the forecastle, fire in the engine room <laughs> oh rig, rig unstable you know like <laughs> making yeah. stern way like just like all this Jeez. terrible terrible information to be getting and so that's relayed you know so we get down to Sausalito and everyone was just like you're alive <laughs> so it was it was good it was you know very adverse conditions but also it just kind of goes back to that like boiling down of who people really are and stuff. You get through a, something like that with people, and it, you know, there's a bond that won't be broken. I don't think it's definitely going to change. You know, your interaction when you're in the shit with like literal lives on the line. And I don't. I think that happened. It might have happened in the same year, but I think it happened earlier in the year than the bounty. I'm not sure. I need to look up look up the dates because I do remember seeing the whole bounty thing and being like, wow, like we really did come close to having catastrophe now ladies planks and stuff her hull is in really good shape yeah so the truth of the matter is catastrophe was probably the rig coming down and everybody waiting it out in the main hold that's probably the worst the catastrophe would have been mm-hmm. now rig coming down that's a catastrophe that's, in and of itself that's a huge catastrophe. and if people are on deck then yeah. that's a very dangerous situation well so. and especially if rigging's smashing up you know 
yeah. smash you up against the hull. Yeah, you, you can, can really you can compromise the hull really yeah, quickly. You can eventually uh, blow out seams and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, well, good. I'm glad. Glad you guys made yeah, it, obviously. And, and one of these days, I will get through an interview without mentioning puke. I'm sure of it. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure it's it'll It's kind of the way that happen. it is on the ocean, you know? <laughs> oh, there's so many good puke stories. It's, I, it's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We could get into it. I want to get into it. I can elaborate. One time I was in like a line of people that were all like right on the edge and then one person popped and it was just down the line <laughs> everybody went like a like a broadside from a frigate or something you know <laughs> and then i also always wanted to like with consent of course i wanted to film people vomiting and i just oh, like yeah. i always wanted to make like this overture of 1812 kind of like <laughs> cut scene of like the vomit montage that has not been created on the internet I'm, I'm sure it has we if, should you, do if you it, think though. of it it's, it, it has but boy <laughs> that should uh, you're right it's a great equalizer you know like uh, yeah. everybody's big shit until they lose their cookies and then it's like well you're a little, <laughs> humble, a little more humble now <laughs> Awesome, Jordan. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for sitting down with me doing this interview. That was, uh, I had never heard that that story, not in full. That was cool. Really? Thank you. Hey, well, I'm happy to share it, you know. I think yeah. this is my first podcast ever, so <laughs> chalk that one up for me in the new category. But no, I had a great time. It's great to see you. It's been too long. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, as always, go out, find and support your local tall ship. Don't go out in a gale or a storm or a hurricane <laughs> i wouldn't anyway but uh but definitely go out and help them out help your local nonprofits, yacht clubs yeah uh check them out you'll learn if you're if you own a boat or are looking to do those charters yeah get get that what is it the asa yeah american sailing association american yeah. sail association get that get that license uh so that you can you know be a conscientious responsible mariner out there yep. and you don't have to follow the orders of a captain it'll be great <laughs> you'd be your own captain but really any sort of tall ship experience too will will teach you a lot of what you need to know i learned everything about navigation and yeah. you know boat handling and stuff like that from tall ships before i ever got on a boat of my own so it's an invaluable experience awesome yeah and folks if you want to support this podcast uh buy my kids books i got two of them the greatest captain of the world and greatest captain of the world two uh, you can find them at greatestcaptain.com. Also, feel free to support me on Patreon. That would be really appreciated. And with that, I would like to wish everybody out there fair winds and a falling sea.